My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, so before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of Ollie's best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is an online entrepreneur and high-class vagabond. He's been obsessed with freedom from a young age and has built his life around this concept with digital businesses, investments, and location independence. He's traveled to more than 40 countries. He currently works with entrepreneurs in relieving them of technical website issues with his business, Work Hero, as well as hosts the Freedom Lovin' podcast, and is writing his new book due out this fall, titled The Rebel's Guide to Freedom. Please welcome to the show, Kevin Koskela. Kevin, how are you? Great, Mikhail. Thanks. It's great to be here. Pleasure to have you. You know, it's really interesting, and I guess we'll get into this a little bit later on, but our connections to Brazil and specifically Floripa. So I want to talk about those things in a minute because we've got some funny stories about that. But I guess before we get going today, why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory? How did you get into travel and freedom and entrepreneurship? Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned in the intro, uh, obsessed with freedom from a young age. And I want to start there at the young age. So, I mean, I grew up with a, a globe, you know, one of those spinning globes in my bedroom. And that was something that really got me interested in exploring the world. And then I also grew up with being punished a lot by being sent to my room. And I have no idea why. I remember a lot of times, go to your room, go to your room. And I felt like my freedoms were restricted quite a bit. And I think that got me 
to really think about like, I want to break these. I want to break out of this. I want to break out of jail or whatever, you know, the metaphor is, but I, I, I really started to become obsessed with that idea of exploring the world and being free. And I would just find like places on the globe. And I go, I want to go there. I don't know how I'll ever get there. Like Madagascar, that sounds amazing. And, and so that got me really, I think that that background got me interested in and obsessed with the idea of freedom. And so I went through the traditional schooling. I went to public and private schools and that never clicked with me, got out of school and went into the corporate world. And that also never clicked with me. I had several jobs and I was working in Silicon Valley and I'd spend one year here, one year there. And I always thought that the the good job is right around the corner. The, the, the best, the, the company, this company sucks, but the next one will be great if I just get the right job and have the right people around me. But it never worked that way. Like every company that I worked for was completely dysfunctional. And I could usually see it pretty early on where I'm like, this isn't going anywhere. And it's not, it's not, it's not the type of life I want to go and collect a paycheck and, you know, work eight to five and come home. And I, I just, it just never, none of that ever clicked with me. And then at one point I got laid off from a, from a job. And I was like, you know, I, I think this is the time to break out and do something else and not go back and get another corporate job because it's just not for me. And I, I took a risk and I, uh, I started thinking about well, what are, what are my passions? What are, what am I excited about? I had been a competitive swimmer growing up and I thought, well, I could do something with like physical, something physical, like, and I thought, you know, I could be a trainer, like a personal trainer. I could help people get in shape. And that would be fun, you know? So I started a business where I was doing personal training. And then I also started a business coaching uh, swim lessons, doing swim lessons. So mostly people that are like 18 and over that are doing, a lot of the people that were coming to me were triathletes. They're doing these swim, bike, run events. So they were training for something specific that I could help them with. So I did those two things for a while and I started to take things online at the same time. And while the topics were interesting to me, the, the, the physical businesses were not really going very well. So uh, I eventually got to a point where I'm like, I was losing money every month on my training business, but I was starting to build a website and actually was building two websites, one for the training and one for the swim lessons. And so I, I was getting excited about the swim lesson business because it was a niche. It's like nobody was really doing swim lessons for triathletes. And so I started working on that and offering a, an online component of that business so that became tryswimcoach.com. I worked at that business for many years and I started with a, an ebook. I just sold an ebook on the website, started making some cash selling ebooks. And then I turned that into a DVD. And then so the, the money that was coming in kept growing. I was selling DVDs and books and all, all about training for swimming. And then that eventually became a membership site. And that was where I landed for a while, just running a membership site, you know, all based around swimming for triathlon. And uh, that, that was a business that eventually supported me. So I could do that, travel around. I could run it from anywhere. And super exciting to me because then all of a sudden I could, I could just go and live anywhere I wanted and run this business. I wasn't getting super rich, but it was enough to pay the bills and do everything I wanted to do. So anyway, that led to, um, I developed some skills in building teams. And that led me to eventually starting WorkHero, useworkhero.com. And that's the current version of that business is we help other businesses with their WordPress tasks and WordPress support and maintenance. What led me there was that I've always used WordPress. Like all my, all the businesses I've started online, it's always been WordPress. There's so much you can do with that. And so I thought, well, I'll start a business where I help entrepreneurs with the things they're not good at. So, uh, the business has been growing little by little, month by month. And it's a great business because I can take it on the road. I can operate it from anywhere and 
you know, now I'm here in Mexico and it's, uh, it's, it's going well. So many things to unpack there. So many things. Okay. So from the beginning, what I noticed is with the online business, I mean, most people wouldn't think that you could have an online business for swimming. Like that seems to be like one of the things that was like, no, you to teach swimming, you're going to need to be there with them. You're going to be having to coach them in person, but you've actually taken a job that most people would assume is cannot be digital and made it digital. And then not only made it digital, but made it a continuity program, a membership program, which is the dream business for many, many people in the world, because then you don't need to continue to sell to them. Like you just get recurring revenue over and over and over again. So I love that. I think that's brilliant. Second of all, with the new business, I think that it sounds to me in, in previous conversations with you and in this conversation, it wasn't really until you niche down even further that Work Hero started to become really successful. Because if you look at the, the things that you did in your first business, you actually did do in your second business, but maybe didn't realize it. Because when you were offering so many services, maybe it's not as attractive. But when you're just doing the one thing and specializing in that one problem and fixing that, Actually, that seems to be the sweet spot for a lot of entrepreneurs. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So with yeah, with the swimming business, it was like there were many coaches out there offering online swimming programs and things like that, but almost nobody was doing when I started it, almost nobody was doing triathlon swimming. So that's why I took that niche. Exactly. So more niche down. Exactly. Could have been swimming for kids for learning how to swim or something. Yeah. But yours is not just adults, not just professional swimming, but specifically triathlons, like that's pretty niche. Yeah. And then what, what I found was that in the swim coaching world, it, it's, a, it's a strange place because there are so many swim coaches out there that they're very rigid. They have, I mean, this is generalizing of course, but it, they have their way of doing things and their way is the right way. Nobody else can do it like they do. So I adopted this kind of attitude of, I'm open to all of it. Like I have my views on the way things should be taught in swimming, but I'm also like, I'm more than happy to talk to any coach about technique and how they coach and what their programs are like. I, I don't shut anyone out. Well, no one else was doing that. Everybody else was like, no, 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 no. You guys are all wrong. I'm doing it the right way. And I don't want to listen to any, I don't want to talk to anyone else. And everyone else is the enemy. And I looked at it as like, no, I'm going to make friends with all these coaches and, and I'm, I'm going to be open to their ideas and thoughts because they've, they all have expertise and I wasn't anyone. I wasn't an, I mean, like I, I called myself an expert because I, that's it. Like I just, I just said, I'm an expert, but I didn't, I didn't coach any Olympians. I didn't go to the Olympics. You know, I swam in a division two school, had some success there, but I didn't make a name for myself. So I felt like I had to, I was kind of forced to align with all these guys that had, that are guys and women that had come, you know, had already built these kind of reputations and, that people knew who they were. So I didn't, I felt like I didn't have a choice. So that's kind of how I built it was, was just saying, okay, I'm, I'm open. I'm not, I'm not, no one's my enemy, you know? Mm -hmm. And then by doing that, you're able to take lots of people's different skills and methodologies and incorporate it, which actually makes you better and better as a coach, which helps make your students better. So actually it's kind of a win-win. I don't understand people who are like so dogmatic all the time, where it's like, my way is the best way and that's it. And it, it's almost like religious. They have to stay on one path, even though, I mean, there's many paths to success. And actually you'll find that the ones who do 
are the most successful take everything. I used to be a big follower of Tony Robbins. Look at that. I mean, I would say Tony Robbins, uh, people might hate me for this, but he didn't create anything original. I mean, all he's done is worked with the best people in the world in their fields and incorporated what he learned from them and regurgitates it out there. And he gets a lot of the credit. But I mean, not to harp on him, actually, I, I really do like his work. But when you can do this and you bring in lots of different experts, it makes you stronger. So that's kind of like a little side rant from my side. But I, I think what you did is the best way to do it personally. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, And I use the analogy of uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Led Zeppelin, like Led Zeppelin was not original. I mean, everybody goes, oh, what are you talking about? They're, but they they took everything they did, they took from something else. Now they're one of the best, they're, you know, the best rock band of all time, right? But but they they weren't original. Like you can't even, and then you go back and you can just keep going back. Like, okay, well, we're, who, who was before them? The They took a lot of stuff from the Yardbirds and then they got stuff from the Beatles. And okay, who were the Beatles original? Well, I mean, they took a lot of what was already done and then they used it for their own music. So I, I just look at it that way is like, I think that's what stops a lot of people from doing something is that they're like, well, my ideas, you know, I don't know, like they're not really original. It's like, but most people are more original than they think, you know, they, they have, there's more that they have to offer than they really think because they can, it's, there, there's nothing wrong with taking from others, you know, like you said. Well, and I will add one other thing to this. And that is that a lot of people think that if they're going to start some type of an online business or, or a startup or something like that, they have to be either the only one in the field doing it, or they have to be the biggest and the best. That's it. Like, otherwise, there's no point in doing it. And it's like, no, I mean, you need to make a living. You want to grow your wealth. You want to have the freedom in your life. Why do you think you need to do something that no one else has ever done before? Actually, your job as an entrepreneur is to help people. If you're solving problems, you're helping people, then, and your industry can take it. What does it matter if you're one more person in there? If there's already 50 people doing it and you're 51, that's okay. You can still make a very good living. And I mean, how much do we talk about travel on this podcast? Like, I mean, it is the underlying theme of everything is people who are out there and doing it. And this is your life. So if you can build a business, earn a good living and travel the world and follow your dreams, then like go for it. Don't worry about creating the next tech startup and being uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Larry Page or one of these guys. Like it just, it doesn't need to be done. I mean, right. I just don't get it sometimes. No, I, and I totally, I, that, that totally resonates with me because like starting Work Hero, I was looking at, there are so many businesses that do WordPress support. There are, I mean, we have a lot of competition. And when I started it, there was a, there were already a lot. I mean, this is not a, a unique concept, like sub, doing a subscription-based service around WordPress. There are other companies like that. And I thought, you know, here's the thing. Like, I see that these guys, th these other companies are having success doing this. And I know that I can also have success doing that. And I know that it can, it, it can provide like that monthly recurring revenue. And that's why I got into it. And I wanted to do like some sort of a startup business because I wanted to see what that world was like. But it, it, there was nothing. I mean, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just looked at stuff that was successful. And I'm like, let's just do that. And of course, there's a lot of work that goes into that. It's not just like carbon copy somebody. But, but it, at the same time, it's like, I already knew. I had the confidence. I knew that we could be successful because of the others that came before. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, we'll find our niche as we go. We don't have to invent it right at, right at the beginning. And with WordPress, I mean... There's so many WordPress businesses 
because there's so many people using WordPress. I mean, it is a technical skill that takes manual labor hours that needs to be done that I've run many WordPress websites in, the, in my life and have had to hire people to do technical things that I didn't understand or security updates. There's lots of stuff, but I mean, it's okay that there's, and I, I used an example of 50, there's probably 5,000 or 500,000 businesses in this, but you're still able to make a nice living from this and follow your dreams. So, I mean, you're helping people, so you should. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So I, okay. So let's, let's change gears a little bit because let's talk about some of the countries, some of the places, some of the things you've done as a digital nomad, and then let's dig deep into Brazil because we got uh, some similarities for Brazil, I think are pretty funny. So talk to me, I guess, as you were building these businesses, where you were, where you were living, where you were traveling, like what kind of doors of freedom did this open for you? Well, I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, like probably most of your audience. And I like when that book came out, that was 2007, I think. And I, I was walking through a bookstore and I saw the book and I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and then I, I started, I read the book in the bookstore. Like I was just sitting there reading it in the bookstore. And I was like, damn it. Like I wanted to write this book. I mean, I had never done some of the things that he had done. You know, I hadn't, hadn't traveled the world or lived in all these places, but I was like, that was what I wanted. And I thought, that that's something I wanted to write about. I'm like, I want to do this and write about it. And then he did it already. And I'm like, ah, so I was kind of had this jealousy thing, but I also was like really inspired by it. And I was like, okay, I, I, this is what I want. And so my thought at first was like, I don't really want to learn another language. I have no interest. I didn't just didn't have interest in learning a language. I want to go somewhere that's completely different than the U S but still has English, you know, still speaks English. And so I chose Australia and uh, was there for about two and a half months. That was kind of where I started. And so it was easy in the, in the sense that, that everybody speaks English, difficult in many other ways with San Diego. I had a relationship issue. It was like, there's all, all these things that happened with, with that, but it got me off the ground of like, okay, I did it. I ran my business as I got another city in the U S I was like, okay, I'll try this out. And I went to Austin, Texas and spent some time there. And then, uh, and then it, it just, I kind of slowly got myself to where I'm like, okay, now I want to get more adventurous and I like a little bit more every time. And then I went to Southeast Asia. So I started in Bali and uh, this is back in like 2012. So it wasn't quite as overrun, you know, that whole area as it became later, uh, a few years later. And I just felt that the most tremendous level of freedom when I got there, like I went, I did a solo trip. I'd never done that before. I mean, internationally, I'd never done that before. And I, I, I got to Bali and I was like, I am so free. I, I bought a one-way ticket, so I didn't have a return plan. And it just, that feeling of like being there in Bali and going, I have no idea where I'm going to be in a month. I, I don't know anything out. I just was day to day. It was like, if I liked the place I was in, I would stay another day or two or three. If I didn't, if I was like done with it, I just move on to another town. And so I ended up just kind of bouncing around Southeast Asia from there and having all these adventures, like going through Thailand and then Cambodia and, and just, you know, kind of like literally uh, flying by the seat of my pants. And it was so fun. And then I ended up coming back to the U.S. after that. But, but that was that really that adventure got me off to something that, you know, kind of set my set, set me up for becoming much more nomadic after that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes sense. So and then when when did the Freedom Loving podcast, when did that project start? 
Yeah. So I, when I went to Bali, I, I decided to start a travel, like I, I, kind of like a travel blog. Like I just wanted to write about what I was experiencing and then, and put some pictures up and stuff. And that's, that's really all I, I started freedomloving.com thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just document my travels. And after I did that for a while, like I did that trip, I put everything on the blog. I got back. I don't know when that was, maybe it was like 2013. Uh, I started blogging a little bit more about, you know, kind of things that were really important to me, like liberty and freedom in general, not so much like just travel, but, but my, my philosophy. And I talked a lot about, there's a book uh, by Harry Brown called how I found freedom in an unfree world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're Great aware book. of that. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. So, book. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. And I, and I read, I had read that back in like 2008 and I was like, this is how I want to live. Like, this is exactly how, and it's a, it's some of the concepts in the book are very simple, like getting yourself out of these boxes that you put yourself into, you know, that we all do this. And, and, but, but, but in practice, they're not so simple. You know, it's, it's, you really have to work on yourself and to bring yourself out of uh, these traps, you know, that, that are created. And so I, I started to sort of blend like my, like the travel stuff with the philosophy and, and I was doing some writing on that doing some blog posts. And, and then I thought, well, I might as well start a podcast. Like I, I like to do podcasts. And so I started doing a podcast and I, I wanted to tackle like all different aspects of freedom and, you know, with, with the political stuff, with the philosophical part, uh, the travel, the business, like financial freedom, all of it combined. So that's what got me started on, on doing the freedom loving podcast. Well, that makes sense as the underlying theme of freedom, but I guess I have a little side question for you. And that's, did you find that it's a little bit too wide? Like, did you find that your listeners understood when you would jump from say one day from politics to another day to travel to another day to health or things like this, that were all within the freedom theme or did they get it? And I, and I asked this kind of, from a personal side, because I've struggled with this myself with my own show and work products that I do. Yeah. And, and I've listened to your podcast and it's, it, it, there, is, there are a lot of commonalities, similarities between um, what I was doing back then and what, what you're doing in terms of the topics. And it, it, it's a little bit of a challenge. So I went through some different, when I started it, I had no goals. Like I really didn't have any goals. I just thought, oh, let's start a podcast, see what happens. And it did grow like it, it, for the first year, it just grew every month. It would grow a little bit more, a little bit more. And I was just picking topics that I was interested in. I wasn't, yeah, like you said, I was kind of bouncing around. I was doing different, all sorts of different topics. And what I found is that, well, there, there were a couple of things that first year. Um, one is that the most important thing for me to get like people excited and to keep listening and to get new subscribers was my level of passion around the topic. So if the shows that were the most successful were the ones that I was excited about, that I like authentically was genuinely like, this is exciting. I want to talk about this all day. The shows that were not so like, I'm, I listen to them. I like, I re-listen to them and I'm like, Oh, that, yeah, not my favorite episode is when I was like pulling somebody that I thought, well, they have a lot of listeners. I'll, I'll get them on the show. And you know, like, it's like, maybe they're, they're inter- they're an interesting person, but I'm just, it's just not something that I'm totally excited about. So that was the one thing that, that came up, uh, you know, after I kind of reflected on kind of how things were going and then, yeah, I, I, so I, I, this, this kind of idea of like going with what I'm interested in versus 
how can this person help me get more subscribers? I think that was definitely the wrong way to go. It was like trying to find people with, with, with big, like everybody told me that, get people on the show that have already have audiences and that's how you'll grow. And, and so that's not, that's really not how it worked for me because I, I, I would get bored with shows that I'm not interested in and then I would fade. And then I actually took a year off and then that's what, you know, sort of, you know, the, then the audience goes, the listeners, subscri subscribers go down, everything kind of falls off. Yeah. It's one of those things that I'm, I'm always thinking about because I, I think in the beginning, you know, I was trying to get the biggest names I possibly could on the podcast. And I think that, you know, maybe at the time that that was good because it helped establish the show before we had a big audience, which we we do quite well now. And I, I'm very proud of that. It's been a lot of hustle to get us to this point. But now I actually am, I don't care about how many subscribers or anything like that the other person has with the hope that they're going to show it and I'm going to pick up subscribers. Actually, these days, I just try to find the coolest, most interesting, best people in the world for the topic at hand and then interview the crap out of them because I'm so stoked and pumped to learn from them like you. Like, I'm super excited to have you on the show. And I've listened to your show many, many times. And, you know, it's just fun to pick your brain. So, like, I think anyone who's listening to this show is going to get that vibe. And I think that you're right, that authenticity is really important in this. Because if you want to just listen to, I don't know, an interview by some super, 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 super famous person, it's, uh, they've probably done that exact same interview like a hundred times. So you could listen to them say that's, it's like a speech or a monologue at the end of the day on a thousand different podcasts, and it's not really going to matter. But this authenticity, you can't fake that. There's no other way. And then I guess my my question about the freedom, because I feel like my show is about freedom as well. And I have had episodes on about politics. And in a couple of weeks or next week or something like that, we have an episode of health coming up where I want to talk about immune support. I mean, it's not probably the first thing that people would think about when listening to an offshore or an expat podcast. But for me, in my mind, it makes sense. It's like, okay, you're traveling all over the world. You're going in and out of airports. You have these time changes and you're all over the place. So how do you keep your body healthy? I mean, for me, that makes sense. But I've always wondered, like, do my audience, do they get all the connections that I make or not? I guess this maybe is a good topic if you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com and join our Facebook group and let me know in there, you know, we'll start a thread on how niche down does a product need to be? Because like, this is kind of a recurring thing. We talked about it with your swimming. We've talked about it with your WordPress site. And now actually it's coming up again with podcasting. So that's interesting. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I was going to mention is that what I was getting frustrated with, with podcasting was that if I, if I did a show on some political topic, the downloads would go up. And I'm like, I want to, I want, I want to inspire people. I want to teach a little bit. I want to help them get become better in whatever way. And and then I do a show about politics where it's completely out of their, you know, politics is completely out of your control. So, and that that's what was the most popular. And so that was frustrating me. And so I would go, yeah, I'll do a, I'll do a show and I'll mention Donald Trump, and then I'll get a bunch of downloads. And it's like, but that's not really helping people. Like, there's plenty of, you can go find show. There's plenty of shows that all they do is talk about politics. And I didn't want to be that show, but then it was like this kind of thing where it's like, 
well, if I talk about it a little bit, I'll get more downloads or I'll get you know more people uh, subscribing to the show. And so I don't know, what do you do about that? Like, do you have that, do you find that same thing, phenomenon? Yeah, like I, okay. So the, I, guess, I guess the real argument is doing episodes, doing podcasts or content about current events or trying to make yourself stuff more evergreen. My goal has always been to do evergreen. So the concepts and the philosophies in the inspiration that we talk about on the show, whether you're listening to this in 2021 or in 2028, I mean, I want it to be just as applicable. That's why I actually try not to put dates in. Like I, I certainly have right now, but I mean, it's just to highlight a point. I want this stuff to be evergreen where people can listen to it years from now and still be like, wow, that was solid content. I really learned something. I'm inspired to make a change in my life and get out there and travel and be an expat or be a digital nomad and explore the world. Yeah, that's that's huge. And, and you know, right now it, it's it's tough because we talk about, you know, even I was saying something earlier about uh, traveling and I'm like, well, you know, the last, it, it, up until the last year or two, and it's like, we do have to kind of shift a little bit and how we talk about becoming a digital nomad because you know, in the last year and a half, it's been like, well, normally we could go to these countries, but right now they're all closed. <laughs> and so it's, it is a different conversation, you know, for this time being. And I feel like a change at some point for the better. But at this point, if someone's listening to this show next week, it's like, okay, there's all these COVID, you know, restrictions and how do we deal with that? You know, there, that is a, it is a current event and it is very relevant, but then in, in five years, it's going to be completely different, right? Well, that's that weird juxtaposition because you actually have more demand for remote work and digital nomadism, digital nomadism than ever before in history. And at the exact same time, all the borders are closed. Like it's like, <laughs> what a weird, weird system at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I listened to your episode with Jeffrey Tucker. If, if, anybody, if anybody wants to get the lowdown on what's really going on here. That was an awesome, that was an awesome chat you had with, with Tucker. Yeah, it's funny. So normally I tell my guests, okay, we've got, I schedule them for 90 minutes and we want to record for about an hour. Jeffrey's like, uh, I got 45 minutes. I have to be on TV. I'm going to be on CNBC or something like this, or I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I was like, I got 45 minutes. So we did like a 60 minute episode in 45 minutes by just talking like twice as fast. <laughs> I was laughing so hard when I was listening to it afterwards because we just crammed so much in there. I mean, that is very, 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 very condensed version, like really get people up to speed. But he's an amazing guy. Super, super smart. Yeah, I like getting my libertarians on the show. My show definitely, and I think yours as well really has a libertarian vibe to it or a libertarian theme to it. Yeah, 100%. And I think you and I are the, are, are very similar with, you said, you know, you didn't really use that word. Like when you started your show and your website, you're like, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be a libertarian thing, even though that's the that that's the overall vibe. That's, that's what you, you know, that's who you are, but it's not, you know, you're not preaching it, not getting political about it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how I've been as well. But I do strongly believe in, liberty and freedom and, and, you know, like not, and having control over, over your own life and, and all the, you know, all, all the things that, that represent freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to be like a libertarian podcast, although I want to show the values of libertarianism 
in real life practical sense. You know, I've built my audience, like possibly if you guys are listening to this today, you heard me on a libertarian podcast talking about freedom and the freedom, the the vehicle for that freedom for me is being an expat or being a digital nomad and traveling the world. But I don't need to do an episode, or I don't need to do an entire show about theory, about book work on libertarianism and the values. I want to be the practical side. And I think that that's really similar with yours too. Like you, you show the practical side. You're not trying to show like just theory or, you know, hypothetical situations of what freedom could look like. It's like, no, I built an online business. I worked in the health niche. I traveled the world. These are real things that you actually did to accomplish more freedom in your life and then to aspire other people to do the same. That's amazing. Right, exactly. Yeah, we don't need more theory, although that is important. I'm glad that there are Tom Woods out there and, you know, like other podcasts. I think that's great. But but it's like to, 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 beat, to beat that that horse to death, it doesn't make sense at this point. Yeah, exactly. And I like listening to a lot of those shows. Like I like listening to Tom Woods. He does an awesome job. I mean, there's no question about it. He is an absolute beast of a podcaster. I <laughs> I look at his numbers, his downloads, his episode count, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, the guy is an absolute beast. But that's not me. Like I try to do mine just in a different way and be true to the things that that I know and are that I can speak to better than anybody else on planet Earth. And, you know, that's where I live. Um, but yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I listened to your uh, your show about how you ended up in Brazil. And the part that was like, I was kind of blown away with it was all of these having a baby there, all this, like the paperwork that you you discussed and you laid out. I was like, this is my this would be my personal hell, like having to go through all of those, jump through all those hoops and deal with the bureaucrats, the government of Panama, the gov- Brazil government. And I mean, it's just uh, like that stuff dri- would drive me insane. It's gotten 10 times worse, my friend. <laughs> I'm going to have to do an entire episode just on the bureaucracy of Brazil. So just a really quiet, quick side note is I... We finally got my son's birth certificate yesterday, but we went to get the birth certificate and the hospital had written my wife's name wrong. So if if anyone spent any time in China or has a Chinese partner or studied Mandarin or something like this, you guys will know that in China, they write the surname first and your, your given name last. So they have it the opposite of Western. So the way that it was written in her passport is different than they, the way that they had wrote it on the notice of live birth from the Brazilian ha- um, hospital. So that when we went to get the birth certificate, which took like five weeks to get an a, to appointment and to get all of our documents, yeah, they wouldn't accept it. So we had to like not argue with them, but go back and forth and sign all these extra documents. So we were there for like an extra hour and a half, two hours or something just to trying to explain to them that it, you know, my wife's name is, it was the same, it was the correct spelling, but the words were reversed, like nightmare. But so, okay, so to give some people some context about Brazil, uh, Kevin and I were speaking, I don't know, maybe a month ago or something, just on a private phone call. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm traveling through Brazil at the moment. He's, you're like, oh yeah, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in Florianopolis. It's in the south of Brazil. It's a little island called Floripa. And kind of what was your response, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been to Brazil three times now in the last seven months. And I've really mostly only been in Florianopolis. So it's, and it's not, not a place that most people like, especially Americans, most people have even heard of because it's not a huge city. So yeah, random. Yeah, it was so funny because we figured out that we were actually here at the exact same time, the exact same month. And then you were staying in Inglés or in Lago or something. I can't remember. I was in, I yeah, was I was in, in Lago. Lagoa the first time and then Campeche the next two times. Campeche, that's right. And we figured that we I was probably like having lunch like down the street from where your house was at the exact same time. And I mean, Brazil's a huge country and there's a lot of amazing places here. And Florianopolis is a kind of a random, I mean, I have been told that Florianopolis is the most libertarian city in all of Brazil. I got connected with a Brazilian YouTuber who runs a YouTube channel on libertarianism. And he was telling me that, yeah, the most amount of his downloads are from Floripa. I was like, wow. well, that's kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a streak of that in Brazil in general. It's surprising. I mean, it's such a huge country, so obviously you're going to get a little bit of everything. But but I find that that it's it's very interesting comparing it to the U.S., where it's like it seems like the U.S. It's all about the two parties and you know whatever left right and all that. And then in Brazil, it's like they they have that too. But then there's this there's this kind of there's a streak of of people that that aren't that are kind of seeing through it. You know that 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 aren't bought in that I, you know, and, and I have some hope for that, although <laughs> there's plenty of problems there too. Well, you know, I meet people on the streets here and we'll chit chat or I'll chat with the Uber driver if they speak English or if they speak Spanish or something like that. And without fail, everybody complains about the government here. Everybody like it's, it is common knowledge that the government sucks and they are a problem and the bureaucracy is terrible. Like in the US, some people still seem to think that the government is like there to help them. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> which it sounds really bizarre to me. Yeah, so but, you know, in Brazil, there's no delusion on this at all. Right. right. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I had to laugh because I can't, I, I, it's, it's unfathomable to me in the last year and a half, if you think that they're, the government is here to help. I mean, there's so many examples to the contrary. It's like, like everything they do is it just gets in our way, you know, of whatever we're trying to do travel. I mean, just try traveling internationally. It's, you know, the, 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 the silliness that goes on. I mean uh, you know, just coming down to Brazil, you know, three times, it's like one of the reasons I went to Brazil is that it, it's easy, you know, like it's, there's very little that we had to do to go. I mean, every other country was like closed down and Brazil's like, yeah, come on in. And some of the things that happen when you travel, it's like, you, you go fill out this form to get into this country. And it's like, you, you fill out the form and it's like, do you have COVID-19? Yes, no. <laughs> it's like, really? Like, really? This is the this is what they're saying. Like, you know, do you have a fever? Yes, no. <laughs> like, okay. I don't know. It's just laughable. We're just going to pause for a second on the interview because I want to tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're going to find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I want to tell you about this? 
Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I want to give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's going to really serve you well. So enjoy. Go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report and let's jump back into today's interview. Well, I mean, I've picked my travel around the countries that are the most free and open. I mean, Brazil is pretty much wide open, or at least here in Floripa, I mean, there is hardly, I mean, maybe half the people wearing masks, half are not, but all the sports are going, all the stores are open, restaurants are open, like people are out drinking, partying every night, like it's completely wide open. I've been in Mexico. I mean, you're in Mexico right now. Like, what's Mexico like at the moment in regards to lockdowns and COVID? Well, there's no lockdowns here. And you, anyone, uh, like at least Americans, I don't know about other countries, but uh, we can get in here with nothing. There's no quarantine. There's no no restrictions. You just come in like it's, it's like going to another state, really. I mean, except for you have to use your passport. But it's but it is, having said all that, now it, so we have, we have that freedom. But having said that, it is a bit clown world-ish here. I mean, I have to, I, I, it was disappointing to me to go into a 7-Eleven here without a mask and I'm just trying to buy a bottle of water. And the guy at the front is like shaking his head and pointing to his mask. And I'm like, I don't, I, no tango. <laughs> I'm like, no tango, mascara. <laughs> and he's like, he just keeps shaking his head. And I'm like, can I just give you money for this water? This is ridiculous. Like we're standing right here. You're right there. And he just kept shaking his head. So I left the water and I walked out and I'm like, this is clown world. I mean, we're, you know, it's here in Mexico too. It's, it's, it's just as crazy. People have kind of bought into the narrative that, that we have to, there was a, we went to a restaurant the other night and uh, they wouldn't let us in without masks. So we put our masks on literally one step to the table, one step. It was right. The table was right there and we're taking off our masks. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's wild. It's insane. But still, like, I mean, okay, so I was on Twitter this morning and I was reading some of the news and it's it's quoted from the president of the Philippines saying, you either get the vaccine or you go to jail. That is his quote. It's like, wow, that like really escalated quickly. Like, I mean, so we laugh at people because of the stupidity of, you know, taking one or two steps into a restaurant to sit down, you have to have your mask and then you get to take it off. Yeah. But at least, and I'm not defending any of that. That's ridiculous. It's completely stupid. Don't get me wrong. But then look at some of the places in the world and how they're handling this still in 2021. And it's like, they're going to start throwing people in prison if they refuse to get the vaccine. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. wow, that's, a that's terrifying. That is terrifying. It is. Yeah, it is. I, I agree. I have workers in the Philippines and I feel so bad for them because they've been, I mean, for this whole time, every time I talk to them, hey, I'll think, how's things going? They always say whatever's going on with, with, the, with the lockdown. Oh, we're still locked down and we can't really leave the house, you know, to get food we can leave, but we have to come right back home. And it's like, 
you're living in, it's basically a prison. I mean, there's, you know, and I, I, I feel so bad for them because they're, you know, the Philippines, I don't know if you've been there, but it's like, they are so friendly and, and, and they're, they're like upbeat there and positive and yet they're, they're experiencing this terrible lockdown. And yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. I've been to the Philippines multiple times, the nicest people on planet earth. I mean, Thailand gets a lot of the the credit for, you know, happiest people smile country, but oh my God, you go to the Philippines and just the most lovely people in the whole wide world. And poor though, like really, really poor in some places I have seen that I know that these people have no savings, they have no money. And now you prevent them from working. Like people work on a day-to-day basis. They work, they buy food, they eat it that night. And you're going to quarantine and lock everyone up? Like, I mean, that's criminal. Those people deserve to be in prison. That's absolutely brutal. So I guess my point is that, like I've been in Costa Rica, the States, Panama, Brazil, Mexico this year during COVID. I mean, these are all really free countries. I mean, at least where I was in the States, it was quite free uh, and open. Some of the places in the world at the moment are still such a mess. Okay, so we've gotten off on a little bit of a tangent, especially me on this one. I just, I feel really, I don't know, it's tragic at the moment. So I, I, I have to apologize, but I just get so upset about these types of things. But let's let's circle back. So we were talking about Brazil. Explain to me some of the other reasons why why Brazil and why Floripa. Why like why are you specifically coming here? I have a business partner with Work Hero, and we met online via my Freedom Loving podcast. So a few years back, he reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm a listener of your podcast. I love your podcast. I'm a anarcho capitalist living in Brazil." I'm in college and I want to drop out of school and I want to do digital marketing of some kind. Amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that, that's, that's so wild. And so I'm like, let's talk. Let's Because he, he wanted to talk. He's like, I want to talk. I'm like, yeah, let's get on a Zoom call. So we got on a Zoom call. And yeah, I mean, he was in college, but it was like he was on my level. You know, we were already on the same level. It doesn't matter how young he was. I was like, no, he's cool. And he, he was teaching himself at the time. He was learning English just online. Like he would watch videos on like Bitcoin and stuff like that. And that's how he was learning English. He wasn't doing traditional formal English classes. Picking a topic that he was actually interested in and then devouring content based around that. That's the right way to learn a language. It is. And it's, it's amazing because that was like four years ago and his English has gotten so much better. And it's a lot of it has to do with that is like, he's been, he, he does YouTube and uh, you know, now he, I mean, he's, he's completely fluent in English and it, and no, no formal, I think he might've done a little bit of private tutoring, but, it, but mainly just YouTube videos. And, and so anyway, so we, he was, um, he was looking for some work and I gave him some admin work back then for, from try some coach. And, um, he was great to work with. We, we got along great. He was a, he's like a really good worker. And then he dropped out of, uh, university and which I was totally for. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just get out of there. There's no point. And so uh, then, you know, then there was some time where we we just we kept in touch. And, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to start this uh, this new business, and uh, I, I'm going to need some help. Like, I'll, I'll need, I'll, I would love your help. And so he writes me back this long email, and he's like, not only do I want to help you with this, I want to partner with you on this business. And I was like, wow, this is this is wild. I'm like. 
first of all, I've never met him. Second of all, uh, he's really young, you know, just like he was in his like last year of college. And I don't know about his English skills. I don't know if it's good enough. And so I had all these questions, but I'm like, let's talk, let's kind of, let's chat about this. And so he really like, I mean, we, we had a chat and he's like, I could do so many things. I, I really think part, if we partnered, we can make this work. And, you know, I'm like, I was totally sold. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of partnerships in general, but this one seemed right. And so anyway, that it's worked out really well. Um, we both are getting what we want out of it. And even in that book that I mentioned earlier, the, the um, How I Found Freedom in Unfree World, he talks about partnerships in that and how most of them don't work out. And so I'm well aware of all the pitfalls of partnerships. And uh, so a lot of the things that we did were more on the informal side rather than writing up all these contracts and, you know, making sure all our, our T's were crossed and I's were dotted. We did a lot of informal stuff. And I think that's really what made it work was that we weren't, you know, trying to hold each other to all these like really specific things. And, and so, um, so anyway, that's, that's my partner with work here. I never had met him. So in 2019, I was traveling all around. I was in Thailand and I thought, you know, I should go to Brazil and go meet Paolo in Brazil. And then I ended up coming back to the U.S. Then, of course, COVID hit. And then I was like, oh, well, that's on hold. But then, of course, after a couple months of COVID and seeing what a fraud the whole thing was and how, you know, like I had no fear at all of traveling, I decided to start traveling again. And then I, the, Brazil was just the first country that I want. That was the top of my list anyway. And it happened to be open, wide open. At that point, they weren't even requiring a negative COVID test, nothing. So I booked a ticket, went down there, and I got there. Uh, and he was living in uh, Florianopolis. So that's where I went. And uh, it was going, it was starting to go into, it was their spring at the time. It was our, our fall or autumn. I decided to stay for a month and just kind of get to know the area and get to know him and get, you know, sort of get some work done. And at the same time, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet uh, some locals. You know, I want to know what the women are like here. Like, what what is it like? And I, I never, I didn't know any Portuguese, zero. Like, I took some Spanish, you know, like I knew a little bit of Spanish, but as you know, that doesn't help. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So <laughs> we had a whole conversation about this offline on how people who tell you that speaking Spanish will get you by in Brazil, they are wrong. It will not. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many, so many words are the same, but the, uh, the language is so different. And so I, I started taking some Portuguese lessons and I started getting on all the apps and, you know, like talking to women on different apps and like nobody knew English, nobody. I mean, there was so many conversations I had where it was just constantly translate, translate, translate. And and not one of them, I never ran into any, anyone that knew English. I mean, I read a few people in, in person, like just buying a coffee or something. Yeah. There were a few people that knew English, but, but in, in, on, on the online world, but in the dating world, there was none. And so I was like, well, this isn't going to work. How is this ever going to work? I mean, I can't speak their language. They can't speak my language, but surprisingly, shockingly to me, they wanted to meet like almost like every time I got into a conversation, they're like, Oh, let's meet, let's meet. And I'm like, we can't even, we can't even communicate. What are we going to do? But everybody wanted to meet. So, so then I was like, well, I might as well get picky and, you know, find ones that I want, that I actually want to meet that genuinely um, seem interesting and I'm attracted to. And, you know, so I might as well go down and, 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 you know, get really selective with this. So I did. And uh, I ended up meeting somebody who seemed really interesting. I was really attracted to her pictures, but I thought this is never going to work. Never thought it would work. 
I thought it would just be like, we'll go and we'll, we'll goof around. We'll have a drink and we'll just be like laughing. And it's stupid. Like we can't, we, we have to use Google translate. Like how's that going to work? So anyway, we went on, we had a date and it was a lot of Google translate and it went surprisingly well. Like we were laughing almost the whole time. And we, 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 yeah, we had, we had an absolute blast. <laughs> and so I ended up dating her the whole time, the rest of the time I was in uh, Floripa and I got back home and I, I texted her and we were, we were exchanging some text messages and we both realized that we fell in love with each other in, in that short of a time. It was like three weeks. And so, I mean, this has never happened. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. The Brazilian way is much, much, much different than the American way when it comes to dating. There's much more directness. If, if they like you, they say, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is not something that happens in the U.S. It never. I mean, all my years of, of dating and relationships and everything that takes so long to get to the the actual genuine like, oh, how do you feel about me? It's like, no, we have to play games. We have to like pretend like we don't like them. And and if somebody, yeah, exactly. And then not call back like the following day, or you have to wait however many time. Yeah. I remember. I remember all of that silliness from when I was a single man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so for me, it was a different world. I mean, coming to Brazil was a completely different world. And I'm like, yeah, this works for me much better. I, I love the directness. I love this. So, but so yeah, so we, we, we decided to, to keep going and, and try to make it work. So I went back, I booked another ticket in February, went back and we spent 10 days together and, you know, I just, I just keep going back. And now we're here in Mexico together because she can fly to Mexico, she can she can go to Mexico no problem, but she can't go to the U.S. because you know it's the U.S. They have so many restrictions on Brazilians. Even getting a tourist visa now is is like I mean, there's a six month wait just to get an appointment to apply for the visa. So it's like so Mexico is open. So we're here in Mexico, and this is you know this is where we're at now. I'm planning on going back to Brazil at the end of July and spend a lot more time down there. Okay. Oh, we should have jumped into this topic earlier. I know that we, so, so everybody, we decided that this was going to be the topic that we were going to talk about. And then I got on the entrepreneur stuff because I love and geek out on that as well. But all right, so let's, let's get into this. Let's dive in here. So, all right. The language now, you've been with this girl for almost a year now. Are you learning Portuguese? Is she learning English or are you both doing it? Or are you just going to just hang out with Google Translate all day. <laughs> That's a great, like how, how does that look? Yeah, so it's been it's been seven months, almost to the day. It's been about seven months and, or a little okay. over seven months. And so I was taking uh, Portuguese lessons when I was in Brazil the first time. The instructor that I had, I was doing live, like in-person lessons. The instructor I, that I had was uh, kind of old school. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny, there's so many different ways to learn a language. And uh, I'm still exploring all the different ways that you can take to, to learn a language. Uh, for me, I felt like I needed some really basics because I just didn't have any of the basics. I knew nothing. I forgot a lot of my Spanish. I mean, I don't use Spanish very often, so I forgot a lot of that. And so it was all brand new. So I took lessons when I was there. But this woman that I took from, she was very old school. And if I said something wrong or I mispronounced something, she would give me a look, like like a disgusted look, like, oh, like cringe, you know, like, oof. And <laughs> the first few times I was like, I need to do it right. And I was kind of like being, I was kind of beating myself up. I'm like, Oh, I'm just, I'm doing terribly. Yeah. A lot of pressure. pressure. And so, but then eventually I realized I'm like, no, this just isn't the right fit for me. This is not the right instructor. Like she needs to be more empathetic. Cause I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I have to, I have to learn this, the nasal sounds in Portuguese. I can't do, I still, to this day, I can't make those nasal sounds. And 
I need someone that understands that. And eventually maybe I will be able to do that, but right now it's not, it's not going to happen. So, um, so anyway, I moved on, I started doing Duolingo, um, which I know there's a lot of controversy around Duolingo, but from a ton. Yeah. For yeah. me, it, it actually works really well. Like, I don't know what, does it? Okay. That's it, good. it doesn't, it's not going to make me fluent. Like Duolingo is not going to make me like, I'm not going to just sit there on Duolingo and become, become fluent, but I, you know, I've learned so many new words and so many tenses like future tense, past tense. I'm learning it all on Duolingo and it's been great. Uh, so I combine that with, I, I take um, lessons from someone on italki, italki.com. Yeah. And that, yeah, actually, if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash italki, italki, you guys can get some free credit on there. I use italki all the time. They're really good. Sites. Yeah. It's amazing because you can get affordable, really good instructors on, on there. And I found one and I've been sticking with her for a while and I'm, I'm trying to do either one or two days a week with lessons. But what really elevates my Portuguese now is spending time with my girlfriend. Like we, we speak, I would say 75% of the time when we're speaking, it's in Portuguese. Maybe when we're, we're amazing. yeah. So, um, so of course I'm stumbling and fumbling. I'm still to this day. I'm, I'm definitely stumbling around, but every time I see her, I get better and I'm getting better. You know, it's, it's, it's really speeding up, accelerating my progress when I'm spending time with her. And I kind of, you know, it, probably at first it was frustrating and it still is frustrating to some level, but I also enjoy the challenge. I really do. Like I, sometimes I'm excited when I, I learn a new word. I'm like, oh, I get this, I get this little like excitement. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And now, now I know that word. And so every day I'm learning new words and, and how to say things. And like, you know, I, str I still struggle with like past tense, but I'm getting better and I'm understanding it. And I'm, you know, and, and so now I have three modalities. I have Duolingo, I have the italki, and then I have her. And between the three, I'm getting better, better, better. Uh, when I go back in July to Brazil, I, you know, one of my goals is to become conversational. And I call that conversational because fluent is another level. I don't think I'll become fluent in the, in the six weeks I'm there, but, but I think I'll become conversational. I think I'll, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. And it really is, it really comes down to exposure with the language. It's it, it, that would, that's for me, that's the, the main thing because I, I, I'm not someone that can watch shows. Like I've tried to watch Brazilian TV shows. I really just don't get into it. I can't because I don't understand what's going on. I have to pause it. And I have to read the subtitles and then I have to go, wait, do I understand that? And so a one hour show, a one hour uh, Brazilian show, you know, might take me three hours to get through and I'm not even that into it. So that to me is not a good method. Uh, maybe doing some of the cryptocurrency stuff, like some of the Brazilian crypto people, I could do a little better with that. But for me, it doesn't like watching shows and stuff like that is not the best method. I know that a lot of people say that works great, but I think for me, it's going to be well, okay, so let's pause for a second there because I got some in, insight on this one. I think that watching TV shows and Netflix and movies is absolutely excellent. However, however, there's a massive caveat here. You have to be at a certain level first. If you try to do that at the beginner level, I mean, forget about it. It needs to be comprehensible input, but definitely getting a lot of input is the way to go. But you're getting your input from conversations with your girlfriend. That's how you're getting, you're being exposed to the language, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours. I think that you will find, my, my guess will be, you will find in one year from today, and you keep up with what you're doing in Portuguese one year from today, you will start watching Netflix. And then you're going to see this massive jump 
in your language skills, not just in what you understand and what you can say, but also your accent and your pronunciation of things, I think will go up huge. And I say this not because I've done some massive amount of research on it. Well, I guess technically I have. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, you know, from my body, buddy Ollie and stuff like that on language learning, but because I've actually gone through this myself with Spanish. I tried to watch Spanish Netflix at the beginning and it was like pulling teeth. It was absolutely brutal. And then, you know, six months, nine months later, I tried again and, you know, I was starting to understand 40% or 50%, which at least allowed me to follow the story. And then I was doing that plus italki plus some language programs with my friend, Ollie. And then it was like this massive jump. I went from, you know, pretty, you know, mid Spanish to now quite fluent. And my understanding on the programs went up to like 70%, which allows me to understand most things. And my accent is way better. I mean, everything just improved dramatically. Yeah. So I bet you in one year from now, watch, we could have another conversation. I and I think I totally agree. Right. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right with that. Like it's not it's not the thing to do at the beginner level, but later on it it's it's amazing. And so, how long did it take you to get from? I, I'm assuming that you didn't know much Spanish going in, and now you say you say you're you're basically fluent. Okay, so my story is a, a little bit different, and I'll I'll go through it really quickly. So in 2003, I spent 18 months. Uh, 2003, 2004, I spent 18 months and I hitchhiked and backpacked through Latin America. And I lived in Guatemala at that time for five months. And during that time, I spent five, six weeks with a family. I did a homestay and I studied Spanish four or five hours a day for five weeks. And I went from literally zero Spanish, like I could not say more than one or two words, to being conversational. And you know, I had all my own hangups about language because I'm dyslexic and I had a learning disability and I dropped out of school at such a young age. My teachers had always told me like, you know, we're not going to put you into French class because you have so much trouble with English that we don't want to make things more difficult for you. And I know that they were probably trying to be compassionate, but it actually what it did was give me the wrong opinion because what I heard is you're stupid and you can't, you'll never be able to speak another language. That's literally how my brain translated what was said. So I didn't take any language classes, not one French class, Spanish class, anything until I was, whatever this was, 19, 20 years old, something like that. Then I started learning through, you know, being there and immersion, just like you're doing now here in Brazil and spending time with your girlfriend, the immersion, which is really good. Then you got this almost 20 year gap between that trip, that hitchhiking in Central America to when I moved to Panama, where I did almost no Spanish. I was in the South Pacific for four years. I was in Asia for a couple of years. I was in the Middle East for eight years. So I had no Spanish whatsoever. Then I returned to Panama and you know, could barely, barely introduce myself, but the stuff was there in the background. And within two years, I've gone from that crummy level of Spanish to fluent, but I study seven days a week you know, on italki or with my buddy Ollie's courses or now watching Netflix, which I can do just normal. But that's been a real progression. And I've spent a lot of time and effort and energy to get to the level that I am at. Anyone who says, oh, you're going to, you know, fluent in 30 days or fluent in 60 days or whatever, like, like, no, there's no, 
not possible, not just ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with you on the language learning. Um, I mean, your journey just shows that, that it's not, it's not easy to learn a language. I mean, this is a, this is, it, it's an, one of the challenges that I run into is that on my day-to-day -day life, when I, you know, I live in, um, I, I live a lot in Austin, Texas. And when I'm there, my, my day-to-day -day life is 99%, 99.5% in English. And then I do, you know, my little lessons and Duolingo and stuff in the morning. And, and, and that is, that is, it would take me years to become anywhere near conversational if I just did that. So, and, and the, the big challenge is that if I want to listen, it's like, if I'm going out on a walk, I want to listen to a podcast that I'm interested in. If I listen to a Portuguese podcast, I'm not going to know what's going on. I'm going to be bored. I'm going to be like, well, I could be listening to, you know, uh, the expat money show, and learning something and, and being also, you know, uh, inspired, or I could listen to Portuguese and understand like 10% of it or something. And so it's like, so I, I always default to the things that I'm interested in and that holds me back. So I, I think that's why for me, the, the, absolutely the immersion in, in immersion for long periods of time is the way to go because otherwise I, I won't discipline myself to do it the way I need to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have John Fotheringham on my podcast coming up in the couple of weeks. We haven't recorded yet. And he talks about immersion and trying to make your home like uh, completely immersive. So trying to do as many things in your target language as possible. So your news and your phone and your TV and all of these types of things. Because I think that's really interesting, you know, the, the concept of immersion. Because as you said, you know, your time in Austin is like 99% in English. Well, the funny thing is my home in Panama, a Spanish speaking country is probably 99% English because I'm a content creator and I'm a consultant and I'm a coach and I work in English and all my clients are in English. That's what we get all day long. Okay. Technically, you know, in my house at the dinner table, yes, there's Chinese, Spanish and English spoken at all times. But I mean, all of my work and the majority of my stuff is all in Spanish. So I have to purposefully go out there and carve out time for, for studying or it won't get done. And as to your point on listening to different podcasts in other languages, I'm completely the same. If I'm going for a walk or something like that, I mean, I can't listen to Spanish podcasts. I'm going to listen to something in English because, yeah, I want to be inspired or I'm trying to learn something for my business or a new technique, and I need to understand 100% of it. I haven't found that that is a good time for language learning for me. Add to that just listening to the audio without any facial expressions or hand movements or gesticulation is really hard. Like, at least for me, super, 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 super hard. So... When you're in person speaking with someone, like in your case with your girlfriend, you can see, you know, when you say something, how does she react? Did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? If she's saying something to you, you know if she's saying it with caring or if she's pissed off at you. Right. Or I mean, you 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 get all these nonverbal cues from the conversation, which help you to understand more. If you're just listening to the audio then chances are you're not going to get any of these additional clues. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I'm the same way. Even watching a, a YouTube video or something is better. Okay. So let's jump back in. So 
the language was kind of the first thing that I was really curious about. Because actually, I'll be honest with you, when you told me that you fell in love in here in Brazil, my mind automatically assumed that she spoke English and you guys were just in a relationship where you spoke English. Like me and my wife, I mean, we speak English together. English is not her first language. English is her, is her third language. But that's the language that we speak in. So I want to give you like massive, like congratulations, good work on you being the one to change your language opposed to making your partner change her language, which happens probably more often, I would say. When a Western guy meets a foreign girl, the foreign girl often ends up speaking English or learning English opposed to the guy learning their local language. So good for you, man, because that is awesome. That is like so, so, so awesome. And what an opportunity for you to learn something new and gain more freedom in your life by pushing yourself to learn another language. Yeah, well, it's not done yet, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not there yet. But I, I thank you. Uh, I appreciate your. Yeah, but you need to be congratulated for being on the right path, man. Absolutely, we should celebrate that. That's really important. That's good stuff. She is she is somewhat learning some English and is wanting to do more. Obviously, when you look at the language of the, languages of the world, the most important language by far, it's not even close. English is the language that everybody should learn. Uh, because it's it's widely it's the most widely spoken language, right? So she does want to learn it, and I think that the problem with Brazil is that there's you just you're not surrounded by people that have a desire to learn English. You just you grow up there, and most people don't don't care about learning English. So she hasn't had exposure to this, but now that she's with me, she's more motivated and is learning, and you know even spending time with me has has picked up more. And so I think eventually we'll both be you know we'll both be conversational in one another's languages. Well, my guess is that as the relationship progresses, you guys will have one language that you guys speak together in, and that will be the, the footing of the relationship, and it will most likely never change. That is my insight from meeting many couples who are from different countries. Even if they both speak two or three or four of the same languages, they always speak one language together. Like I have lots of friends who are, you know, like, the, the guy is Dutch and the girl is Italian or something like that. And they both speak Dutch and they both speak Italian, but they picked English as their language and they only speak English in their house. And that was just how it started at the beginning. And that was how they were on their footing. And that's it. I mean, I think that, you know, if you've started and 70% of your conversations are in Portuguese and you continue to you know, do your part to learn Portuguese, it will probably stay Portuguese for forever. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so let's, so the language was the first thing that I was really curious about with your relationship. But what were some of the other, I guess, challenges or interesting things that happen when you start dating someone from another country and you're really coming into her world here in Brazil where, you know, you might be, feeling a little bit not so sure-footed. Did you find there was other challenges there? Oh yeah, <laughs> many challenges. It's challenging when you meet somebody and you're you're kind of coming into their life, no matter what the situation is, whether it's another country or or not, because you you know they already have a life, you already have a life, and you have to then somehow 
come together and work things out. Uh, so, the, I mean, the, the, the first thing is being long distance. Like we talked about that when, you know, last time when we, ch we chatted, long distance, I'd say, you know, it doesn't work. Like it, it just, it just doesn't work. Long, long I'd agree with that. Yeah. They don't work. Except, except if you have a due date, like you're like, okay, we're going to be apart for two months or something. And it's like, you know, at the end of that two months that you're going to be together. Okay. That, that can work fine. But if it's indefinite long distance, it's, it's going to create all kinds of problems and you're just not there. You're just physically not there. So it doesn't, it's not even, it turns into like, it's not even a relationship. So, so that was, that was the biggest thing. I mean, the, I think the being apart, it was very difficult for both of us to be like, okay, how do we keep this going? Like, and, and I didn't, when I got back in uh, the end of December, I was like, well, I don't have any plans to go back to Brazil. So it was, it was really strange. So the first thing I, when, when we started talking about like wanting to keep this going, I'm like, I need to book a ticket to get back. There's no other way to do this. So I booked that. That was the first thing I booked a ticket. And then I started to come up with like a plan, like, okay, I'm going to start coming here or we're, we need to get together once a month. So we already had plans for, we had plans for March because she was coming to Mexico already. So that was in the, in the plans. And then I booked something in April and then now we have this thing in June, you know, and it's like, it's been just con continuing to have the plan of the next time. And that has, that, that's the only way that this thing can work. So, yeah, I mean, the, the challenge with not, with being really far apart and not speaking the same language is I can't just, you know, with some of my friends, I leave audio messages, right? Like audio text messages with her. I don't do that. Like, so I'm not sitting there all day doing audio text messages with her because my Portuguese is not at that level and she's not going to understand my English. So it's like, <laughs> so I, we do, we do a lot of texting, you know, which is, which is better than nothing. And I do some videos and stuff like that, but it's, it, it's, it becomes a, a communication issue because as you know, talking and then uh, texting are two different, completely different things. And there's so much that gets lost with emotions and translations and everything that uh, that became, that is, that became a, a big challenge. So, that's why I started moving towards, okay, more and more and more time together in person to uh, continue to experience each other and to uh, solidify our relationship rather than, you know, trying to do some sort of long distance thing that inevitably will fail. I mean, I, you know, if, if there's no end point, so. Yeah, I think that is a really important point. I mean, you already have so many challenges with the language. Now you add the long distance and that is another challenge. But you've come up with a very, very good strategy is to make sure that, you know, that this isn't going to be long distance indefinitely. It's going to be a temporary thing. And you are going to make the effort to go out there and fly to another country, whether that be Mexico, where you are today, or coming down to Brazil, or get, helping her to get a tourist visa to come up and visit you. But you need to have, you know, those regular things because, yeah, a relationship just online is... Uh, it's going to fizzle out pretty fast, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we went to a party together in Brazil and I was a little bit intimidated because it was her friends and I knew I wasn't going to understand much, but it worked out great. I mean, it was a barbecue. Uh, a lot of the discussion was around the food and, you know, mm -hmm. everybody wanted me to try different things. And, and, and they were, they were very like empathetic with me. Like they didn't expect me to know Portuguese. And there was one guy in the party that knew English and he spent some time talking to me and it was like, it worked out fine. And I had a great time and uh, I could see myself going, doing the same thing next time and understanding maybe 10 or 20% more of the conversation. So 
Uh, yeah. Well, and then giving yourself the time to understand these things and know that it's not going to be overnight. You know, you, you, you know, in our conversations, you're saying like 10% better. A lot of people would be like, well, that's not enough. Like I need to be perfect today or I can't make mistakes. I'm like, no, that's the wrong attitude. You need to think about those small increment improvements. That's how you're really going to be able to show at the end of two years, three years, four years, five years. I also wanted to ask, what's your opinion of the Brazilian people? For me, I have found them super, super warm and very, very hospitable. Like we're just making friends all over the place, talking to lots of people, you know, also problems with the, the language as in we don't speak uh, Portuguese, but even pantomiming or Google Translate, I've, I've found the people to be really, really warm. Have you found the similar or what's your, your take? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I talked about the dating before and that, that's, that goes along with what you're saying. There's, there's an absolute uh, level of warmth that is not uh, there in North America, at least not nearly as much. I mean, it's tough, sure. to general, it's tough to generalize, but, but there is, yeah, I think that word warmth is, it comes to mind is, is like welcoming. Um, and, and, and they're, they're so happy to, to tell you about things in Brazil. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. It's, it, it is a very welcoming, warm place. Um, it, if you can learn Portuguese, I think it becomes, it becomes like, it's, it's a next level thing where it's like, you're, you're really going to fit in because Brazil is a place that has, many different national, you know, people from all over the place. I mean, there's African descent, there's Japanese, there's obviously Portuguese. There's, I mean, and you, 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 there is no typical Brazilian look. Like that's what I was, when I was in Floripa the first time, I'm like, it's amazing. There's like blonde hair, blue eyed people. And then there's like dark skinned people with black hair and there's everything. I mean, Asian looking people. And it, it's, it's just a really big mix. So there are some similarities to like the U.S. in that regard too, where you just see all kinds of different people. And um, and I think that it's funny because when I first was with my girlfriend, like she would say, "Oh, I, I always thought that Americans were cold." I'm like, "Oh really? wow, you think that Americans are cold?" But it, it, I think what she's saying is not what I think because she said it again recently, and I'm like, "Well, I don't think Americans are cold. I, I think that they're not. They're, they're, there's definitely a difference between you know generally Americans and Brazilians, but." It, it, she means that they're not warm, you know, like not mm -hmm. as warm. It's as not. Warm. It's, it's, I would say that's true. I would never describe Americans as cold, though. I can think of some regions where, at least on the first, when you first meet them, they do come across quite cold. I would not say that about Americans, but maybe if you compare them to Brazilians, then yeah, possibly. <laughs> you know, it really comes down to this: we don't do the kiss hello and the kiss goodbye. That's oh, that's, wow. the bi that's the big difference. <laughs> Americans do not do that, and in Brazil, yeah. they they do, of course do that every time. And I'm like, I still I don't know how you are with this, but I still I forget, and I'm like, oh, I'm kissing this person, <laughs> and I'm going in. And I'm like, I don't remember that we do the kiss hello and kiss goodbye with with random people like that. That still is kind of strange to me, and I haven't I haven't warmed up to that yet. Uh, I just get confused because I forget which country I'm in and which country does and which country doesn't do. I mean, I don't know. And then now you add the COVID part in and then it's like, right. you know, how much does this person care about this? You know, are they going to feel like I'm interrupting their space or I'm going to give them some invisible disease and they're going to get COVID and die tomorrow or, you know, right. I, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. It's a, it's a weird social dilemma at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I spent some time in Asia too. And I, I just want to bring this up. Like I have this thing where it's like, 
in, in the time I spent in Asia, I was like, oh, you guys don't really do the hugging thing much. Like with, you know, when you meet somebody, they're like, oh, no, no. Even hand, even handshakes is kind of not that common. They're like, you, we just kind of wave. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's, that's so different. Cause in, you know, I grew up in California and it's like, it's all about you. Hu you're, it, hugging is so normal and natural For and sure. that's just how you greet and you know, all that. And, and so I'm like, and when, when Brazilians are saying, oh, you guys are cold, it's like, well, you should try going to Taiwan or China or something. It's quite different. <laughs> well, like my wife doesn't even hug her parents if, you know, when we go to visit them. Like we'll fly to China. She hasn't seen them in six months or something like that. She doesn't give them a hug. I don't give a shit. I jump in there for a hug. Like I, I mean, her mom thinks right. it's super weird, but I'm so happy to see them. I mean, for me, it's weird not to give them a hug. And I mean, Asians, yeah. Very, very different, especially this part of Asia. I mean, some of the other places, like we talked about the Philippines earlier, I think probably are a little bit more warm in this regard. But in China, no way. I mean, that is almost taboo, I think. Almost taboo. Oh, my God. So funny. Um, okay. So the Brazilians. So you start going to the barbecues and you you start meeting some people. I definitely do think that you you hit the nail on the head with food. Food is a way that like brings all people together. And it's also a great conversational starter if you don't speak the language, because usually the words for different food items are really similar in maybe other languages you spoke or, you know, certain words in other languages because they're based on Latin are going to be really, really similar. And you can always just like point to it and like rub your stomach and be like, or give a thumbs up. Like you enjoy this. It's really easy to build com conversations around the topic of food. And it's something that you're sharing with another human being at that table, which brings you closer together and builds the bonds of friendship. Now try to have a conversation about politics or science or history or religion or something like that uh when you don't speak the language and you're meeting someone for the first time wow that is like really difficult because there's so much nuances with those types of things and people are so sensitive with so many topics out there in the world where i don't think anyone is really sensitive about the topic of food <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah yeah you're right it's it's that's totally true it's and if you're willing to try whatever the thing is, it's local and you know, people are usually happy about that as well. How have you found, did you try any of the organ meat when you're here? We keep going for churrasco barbecue and they bring out like hearts and stuff like this. And I am doing my best to try them and appreciate them. And my love, my wife loves all this type of food. And it seems to be very popular here in Brazil, but as a North American eating organ meat or offal is not, super, super popular or common, I, I would say. Oh yeah. I love it. I I'm, I'm a carnivore and I, I don't, eat, yeah, I don't eat as much of that when I'm at home, but I do like, I try to eat the organ meat. So I think it's healthy to eat like, you know, kind of different parts, different parts of the animal. And, uh, so if anyone offers me that, like, yeah, I've had heart and all that, I, I will definitely go for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was in Taiwan for a month and I did, you know, I, I ate some pretty interesting foods there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to that stuff. And they serve, uh, in, in, we had, we went to a dinner here in Mexico and they serve, uh, grillos, they're uh, crickets. Oh, and wow. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, give me the, yeah, that you dip them in this sauce and everything. And I'm like, yeah, bring them on. And she was not having any of that. So, yeah. 
Well, I, I, I do believe in eating the organ meat, first of all, for health. I think that it is extremely important. Second of all, I do like to show respect from the animal and not have anything go to waste. And I'm doing my best on the taste-wise. We started eating beef liver, and we're trying to eat beef liver in small portions, I think, you know, four or five times a week, just one or two ounces, just to get our nutrients. But I am struggling a little bit. We're, we're trying many different recipes here to try to get it for my palate. But yeah, hearts, lungs, so much things that are very common here that I'm just not really accustomed to. Like I've tried everything in my travels. Like I don't say no to stuff, but I'm talking about the difference between trying it once and putting it in your diet on like a regular basis. I'm having a bit more challenge with. Yeah. You're going hardcore with beef liver. I, I can't do that. It's, 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 it's rough. I like chicken liver, but the beef is uh, yeah, it's next level. It is pretty intense. Chicken liver is nice, especially if like they do like a, a parfait or a pate or something like that. And you put it over toast or goose liver or foie gras or something like that. Even the hearts are okay. Beef liver is an intense, intense flavor. And I mean, we're, we're eating beef liver. I think at this time about four or five times a week here. Um, my wife loves it. I'm good learning. For, good for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be healthy. And, and we've got a, a, a new friend of mine. His name is Tim Land. He's a, he's a health expert. He got me on to the organ meat. So it's kind of interesting that they actually serve it, serve this type of organ meat in Brazil. It's very common. People eat it from a young age. And then at the same time, I'm trying to get into this health aspect, which is more of this. So it's, it's interesting to hear your opinions as well about coming down to Brazil and the diet and the food. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's when you travel, it's, uh, I love being open-minded and just being like, yeah, give me whatever you eat. I'll, I'll try it. And yeah, I, I haven't eaten a cockroach yet, but I've had a lot of, Ooh, <laughs> a lot of pretty yeah, wild. No. But the, um, the meats here are unbelievable. Have you been, have you visited many of the churrasco restaurants or the kilo buffet, buffet kilo? Yeah, a little bit, not a lot. Ah, but I, yeah, I've been, I've uh, been to a few places and yeah, it's great. Um, as a meat lover, I'm, but it's, it's a good place and it's cheap. Of course, you know, we know it's a, it's a very cheap country and, and some of the meat it's like, it's amazing to me that like you can get, even in the store, you can get like a ribeye, like a grass fed ribeye steak for like equivalent to like two or $3 a pound. And in, in the U S that would, that would cost you 12, 13, 14 a pound easily. Yeah, even in Floripa, which is supposed to be one of the most expensive places and the richest places here. And we go to the nicest grocery store here and we get our bill and it's so cheap. Like we're eating yeah. meat every single day, like nice steak every single day and cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah, you get huge pieces of meat, massive. And it's like a couple of bucks a portion. It's um, unbelievable. I love the food in Brazil. I love the food. So, okay, so here's another thing I wanted to ask you about. So we talked about the language and we talked about the food. We talked about the relationship. Now, if you decide, and, and I don't know what your plans are, if you decide that you do want to spend extended periods of time in Brazil, is your plan to be in Floripa where she has already built her life, your girlfriend's life? Or do you guys think that you will try to pick somewhere new where you're both more on even footing and then make friends together and then they become friends of you as a couple opposed to your stepping in and meeting all of her friends that she's already established or maybe you haven't thought about this yet 
No, I think we would definitely start in Paluripa uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm one of my business partners there. Uh, her oh, life's true, there. True, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and she has kids too. That's the other thing is like, I didn't bring that up, but she has kids. So there, it makes a lot of sense to spend some time in Floripa. But um, at some point we could, we could live in Mexico. I mean, that's, that's a possibility, you know, that this isn't, this is a great, this is a good kind of happy medium place, you know? And, and so, but uh, Floripa, Florinopolis, I'm not really a city guy. Like I'm, I eventually I'll get to Rio. I'll, I'll see it, but I don't, I'm not that excited about seeing Rio. Uh, I definitely am not excited about seeing Sao Paulo. And, and I, and I like Florianopolis. It's, you know, it's, we got the beach there and I, I feel like it's got everything. And, and also everybody tells me about all the crime in, in Rio and Sao Paulo. And there's just, I never feel unsafe in Floripa. So I think it's, a, it's as good as it gets in Brazil, even though I haven't explored that much. I saw a few other beach uh, towns and then I went to uh, Curitiba uh, one time, which is a nice city, but you know, really I think Floripa has kind of everything and uh, so start there and then potentially uh, at some point go to Mexico or we talk about Portugal. It's a place we both like, I, I mean, she's never been, but it would be, it would be an interesting place to live because in Portugal, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of English. And uh, so they have Portuguese and English. It's beautiful. There's a lot, a lot more freedom there. There's a little more um, opportunity there than there is in Brazil. There's so many advantages of Portugal. Now I've just been waiting for this whole COVID thing to, to, to finally, you know, die. And, uh, and Portugal just announced that they're opening up. So there's, there's some good signs there. And there's also some visa opportunities. You probably know more about that than I do, but some, uh, you know, long-term like residency opportunities there. And, you know, so. We have several people in my private Facebook group at Expat Money Forum who are currently moving to Portugal. And yeah, they have some amazing visa options there. I do help people with that. So those are really exciting. It, is an interesting place, especially from the tax perspective. We've often talked, my wife and I, about spending a few years there too. We were actually supposed to go last April on holiday to visit friends of ours, and then COVID hit and we lost our tickets. Actually, we never even got a refund for them or anything. Lufthansa still owes me like $3,000, those bastards. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm also curious to see what the options are going to be once I get my Brazilian citizenship if I wanted to go to Portugal, because my understanding is that there's going to be shortcuts for that. So I need to look into and research more about that, as well as speak to some of my lawyer buddies over there to see if that that's kind of a backdoor into the European Union. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, that'd be nice. But it's also good to hear you about Floripa, because personally, I've fallen in love with Floripa. I think it is so beautiful here. So much so that my wife and I are considering buying a house here, another home, and then spending part of our year. So we'll have to talk, Kevin, and try to plan it out. Maybe we'll be next door neighbors or something. We'll have a, you know, freedom loving expat money podcast neighbors, and we'll do lots of content together. Yeah, let's make it a, a, a liberty slash digital nomad hotspot. Absolutely. How wild would that be? Um, I think that also in my forum, we've got some other Brazil fans. So, I mean, I want to hear people's opinions about Brazil, if they've traveled through this area, if they've been to Floripa, what they thought about it. I think that this is a good place for digital nomads. Like, I mean, the internet is pretty stable, pretty strong, low crime, like you said, amazing food, lots of people from all over the world. Oh, that was another thing I wanted to mention. You were totally right about Brazil being um, very multicultural. 
I'm like white, white, white guy with, you know, Scandinavian heritage, dark hair. And then my wife is this petite, small, little Asian woman. And we walk down the street holding hands. Nobody bats an eyelid at us. Nobody. Like there's never any question. And people speak to us in Portuguese right from the very, very beginning. It doesn't even occur to someone that we are not Brazilian in the way we look, in the fact that we're a mixed race couple, that we dress differently. Like it's just, everybody just thinks that we're Brazilian. That's kind of nice. I mean, I've lived in places in the world and when I walk by, people like stare at me. Like when I lived in Asia, especially if I was holding hands, you know, with my wife, with a Chinese woman, like they would have all kinds of, funny expressions on their face. It's so bizarre. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have stories with that too, with, with Taiwan. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And I actually enjoy all that because, you know, it doesn't happen in the U S and so I go over there and I'm getting all these looks and I'm like, Oh, I, I do stand <laughs> out here. Don't I? It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Brilliant. Well, let's make this a digital nomad hub freedom space. Let's continue the values of libertarianism and uh, make lots of libertarian friends here. I also want to learn Portuguese as well. So I got a, I got a bit more practice to do on my Spanish, and then I'm going to start studying Portuguese. So I think that that's a really good plan, Kevin. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to learn Portuguese and then I'm going to learn Spanish because I feel like it'll be easier, right? Like I learned the hard language first and then it's a, it's a, it's a notch down to learn Spanish, I think. Yeah. So, I think yeah, Spanish uh, is supposed to uh, be the most easy language for when you're coming from English. So if you're a native English speaker, Spanish is supposed to be the, the most straightforward, easiest, shortest path. I think of the, the five major romance languages, I know there's more romance languages out there, but of the five major ones, I think Portuguese is supposed to be the most difficult out of those. So you're, you're definitely going the more challenging and then Spanish hopefully will be uh, a lot simpler for you. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Kevin, I love today's conversation. I know we jumped around all over the place, but it was just so much fun to talk to you again and, you know, speak about podcasting and freedom and your experiences with entrepreneurship and the different businesses you built. And then thank you so much for sharing and getting so personal and talking to us about your relationship and what that has been like. Because I think that that is really important and something we've not talked too much about on this podcast. Certainly a theme that I would like to explore more on my show is, is the overseas romance and how that looks. So thank you so much for uh, being so open with us on that. That's excellent. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, if they run a business and they want to hire you for WordPress, where can we send them? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. And it's been an absolute blast. And I want to continue this conversation maybe on a Freedom Loving podcast. Once I restart that, I'm doing a little uh, like retooling of it and, and uh, redesign and everything. But I'd love to have you on a show. We can, we can kind of continue where we left off, I think. So sometime in the future. So I think that's yes. perfect. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you can uh, use workhero.com as my website. Uh, Kevin at useworkhero.com. Um, let's see, Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but I, I just kind of look at it. I don't do too many posts, but uh, it's at Freedom Loving Guy, Freedom Loving Guy. And then my other website is freedomloving.com. 
Amazing. And also, let's give a big shout out to Marco Wutzer, who set us up together. Marco's become a new good friend of mine. We're talking all the time, and he introduced us and thought that we would get along and certainly do. Certainly do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. I'm glad that he set us up. I, I was happy to actually meet him in person uh, when I was in San Diego a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm going to be planning to go down to Colombia to spend some time with him, hopefully in the next six months or a year, go visit him and his wife and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. So big shout out, Marco. Thank you so much for this introduction. Got to keep the Liberty Podcasting Digital Nomad spirit alive and support one another. I think it's super important. For sure. Nice one, Kevin. Thanks so much for your time. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Miguel. Cheers. Hey, everyone. I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of Ollie's best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.